Hey everyone, before we get started, just want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Nerdy Punk Studios and is a proud member of the Discussing Network. Alright, let's get into it. You are now entering the Phantom Squad Podcast. Enjoy the madness. It's going to be another episode of the Phantom Squad Podcast, and i got a returning guest, Mr. Bobby Nash Strikes Back. How's it going? Ah, oh, so good. Thank you so much for having me back, yeah. You're very welcome. Like I always said in the last episode, always welcome back to talk on the podcast, any of my guests. Yeah. See, now we're, we're talking Bobby Strikes Back. I have this urge to talk Star Wars now. <laughs> <laughs> Now, so with all the new stuff, so what have you come out with? I've seen some, is there some shows that you're working on or what have you been pumping um, out? Because I've seen some new stuff. Uh, yeah, there were some stuff that came out at the end of the year. Um, the uh, Pulp Reality number one came out that has a, uh, I wrote a team up between my, my character, Lance Starr, and uh, Captain Hawkland, who is the character that that is owned by and was created by uh charles millhouse who put the book together and so i pitched the idea of having these two pilot pulp character in, you know action adventure guys team up so i wrote i wrote their first encounter as a story in that so that was a lot of fun and um he's gonna write one for the next one so that way we've both had a chance to write the two of them together and then, so I did that, that came out, and then that came out in December. Um, last October, on Halloween, uh, the, the Devil's Due anthology came out, which was a horror anthology. So I wrote a, I wrote a horror western uh, story in that called Dante's Tenth. And the publisher actually liked it. The publisher has asked me to do... And I'm going to do a novel with the that follows up that short story this year. Um, we did the, the snow shorts um, came out snow shorts with the snow books. I've decided to do to do this thing called sh- snow shorts, which are short stories uh, that can focus on you know some of the side characters and man can be snow too. And so I'm going to write some of them, but I've actually contract contracted other writer friends of mine to come and write short stories. So we put out the one in January, which I wrote called snow flies. It's a snow goes, you know, tries to save a pilot friend of his who is uh, being used to help smuggle stuff. And he gets into some trouble. And then in February, we put out one called thieves alley, uh, which Gary Phillips, a friend of mine who is a fantastic author, uh, wrote a story featuring Snow's friend, uh, Big John Salmon, who is the, uh, he, he could, he can drive it. They described him as he can drive any, he could drive a brick if you put wheels on it. So he's, <laughs> he, you know, he's a mechanic, mechanical genius. He can drive whatever. But when he was younger, he fell in with the wrong people and his, his skills got used toward car theft. And so he, he spent some time in prison and um, he got out 
cleaned his, you know, got himself back together. But something goes on, it happens, and he has to go and do a favor for someone from the old days, which kind of gets him into, you know, back into some old habits. And so it's been fun. And those, so those are fun. So we're putting those out as like 99 cent ebooks to start oh, with. Awesome. And then after we do three of them, you know, we'll collect them into paper and we'll do audio and all that stuff. So it should be fun. It's, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun working on those. It's all, it's really cool seeing how other writers interpret your characters. That's always, it's, it's fun and it's interesting and it's nerve wracking <laughs> because, you know, you, you know, the last thing, like I was, when I was reading Gary's story and he's writing about this character that I created, I breathed life into and, you know, he wrote some things in there that have now informed the character. Like he would, he would do things that make me go, Ooh, I like that. I didn't think of that. That's a cool character trait or yeah, that's going to go into the regular stories. You know, I'm going to take that, <laughs> I'm going to take that quirk and I'm going to use that, you know, plus it helps make the characters, you know, rounded if they're, you know, so, so yeah, it is, it is a little nerve wracking. It's like, Oh, great. They're going to write my character better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's half the fun of it. I mean, you know, anytime you do anthologies, and I, I've written, I've certainly done my share of writing characters I didn't create, you know. Yes. I imagine it's the same thing when I do it. You know, people are like, oh, my God, you know, they're, they're you know. But it's, it, it is fun to play with characters that are not yours. You, got, you know, so it's like borrowing your friend's toy, you know. Take the toys, yes. you play with them for a little while, you dust them off, you give them back, you you don't break them, you just here you go, <laughs> and so it's a lot of fun. So yeah, so writing other people's characters is a lot of fun, and so I thought it would be an interesting um, experiment, and I I have about ten writers lined up to do stories, and I will do some as well, um, because as the as it, it is my book, you know, my characters and everything, I want to do when we get to the putting them in paper, at least one of the three needs to be one of mine. You know, yes. plus when I'm selling them at shows, you know, there's that helps will help with sales. If people come up and they're buying the regular books to maybe get those as well, because it's got that I'd be the through line. But but like I said, I've got some fantastic authors who are um, doing some stories and I'm I'm really excited. And so far, the. The response has been pretty good. Um, we're in the we're just in the process of you know doing some promotion on it. So, and of course, like all the snow books, you know uh, Jeffrey Hayes is doing char- the character design covers for it. Um, like he he's going to be doing the snow covers, which are more like movie poster, action pack kind of things. But for the snow shorts, he's just doing the care like a character uh, portrait of that character. Oh, awesome. So, yeah. So it's like, you know, we're going to have a big John Salmon story that here's big John on the cover. Cause they're for eBooks. You know, we don't want to, cause yeah. it is going to be smaller. You don't want to make it hard to set. So he's done some beautiful design work there to show off the, the different characters and how they look. So it's exciting. I'm, 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 I'm like I said, I'm a, I'm really, I'm really excited about it, but it's like I said, a little nerve wracking too, but <laughs> Plus, it's the first time I've ever published people that's not me. Oh, awesome. Which is, which is also, you know, nerve-wracking. Because, you know, now I'm having to p- make sure I'm keeping track of where everything is. Because, you know, you when books sell, you do want to 
pay the people, you know, for say, you know, yes. their, their time and their energy and their sales. And so there's a lot of, there's extra things to keep up with and you want to make sure you, you go that extra mile to make, you know, to make it worth their time and effort and energy as well. And so, so far we're off to a good start and I'm pretty happy and, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. So from looking at it, is it sort of like reading somebody's fan fiction of your of your franchise? <laughs> uh, I guess a little bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, with the with a slight exception. I mean, with fan fiction, you basically just do whatever you want. You know, I did actually write up a Bible. Here's the characters. Here's who the characters are, and then you know, here's the book. Here's here's their appearances to date, so you can read how they talk and all that stuff, and. But there's also when you put together stuff like that with a Bible, with the Bible, it's like you can do this, you can't do that. You know, there's certain things because, you know, I'm still doing the books, too. So there are certain things I know are coming in the books that I go, OK, you can't do this. <laughs> you know, we yes. can't, this, you can't tell this story or this story or this story. Um, all characters are you can use any character except, you know, like because I know something's going to this character's going to do, you know. I, you can't use this one or, you know, that kind of thing, just because I know there's going to be something somewhere with that character down the road. And I don't want to, you know, we don't want to contradict that, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. It's sort of like um, how I was talking with Mark, Mark Maddox about it with um, the Babylon 5 with the, the Deep Space Nine writers are like, hey, everything we couldn't do with Deep Space Nine, we can do with this show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not very restrictive. Like I said, there were just a couple of characters that were like, and, and they were both villain characters. It's like, yeah, can't do anything with those. Um, and then, uh, but others were, you know, I was wide open to, you know, run with them, to, you know, do a story. And, um, cause I'm not, I'm not so worried about me, them doing a plot that I was thinking of. That's, that's not really the, the thing. It's like with the regular book, having that through line, I knew where the villain was going to end up. So I, I made a point to go, you know, can't do this character just because of that. So, or if that we do a short with this character, I'll do it, you know, because I know where they're going or, you know, yes. that kind of thing. Awesome. Now, uh, what was the, I, I couldn't remember the name of the, the award that you just, uh, that you just won. Oh, I won the, um, there's a group called the Sangria Summit Society. Um, and I'm friends with uh, them on Facebook and uh, Patreon. And they, you know, they've been very supportive of me. They're very wonderful people. Uh, James Burns, I've been talking to him and his brother William. And wonderful people. Uh, they like my work, which, you know, is awesome too. And um, the Sangria Summit does a lot of, charity work and they do a lot of work with military families and veterans and various things of that and there's a lot of but a lot of stuff is literary based too you know they 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 do a lot of stuff with with authors and creators and things like that so i got an email that said hey you won this award that i didn't even know was there, out there. you were nominated for <laughs> had no clue um which but it was very nice it, um, it was a, a nice little award um there wasn't a physical award. It was just, you won this. And a, there was a little monetary cash prize with it that, you know, oh, my publishing nice. company, my publishing company loved. Cause you know, that kind of went into 
helping to pay for some other stuff. And, but, but so, yeah, so I won that, but I was able to, you know, people are always asking me about the marketing and promotion and how you do that. I got quite a bit of promotion off of that because I, it's very hard for an indie, you know, creator to get mainstream attention. Newspapers don't really cover what we do. TV certainly doesn't. Radio rarely does. Uh, you know, so like mainstream literary news sites and things like that don't always cover, you know, small press guys like me. They just they just don't. I've, I've not had a lot. Don't of always become a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> right. So, you know. So, but because I won this award, I wrote up the I wrote up a press release and mailed it around to several newspapers that, that you know this group, you know, guy on award. And so we did, I did have some various newspapers picked it up and ran with it. So that actually helped kind of spread the brand name, you know, the snow, cause it was for the snow books. So it kind of helped push the snow, you know, the snow books a little bit. I saw a nice, a small little bump in sales. Um, so yeah, so that was cool. So it was, it, it was very nice in helping get the word out about the books and and they liked the books. They were very proud of the books. And um, and even though I'm not a, a vet, I'm not a military, you know, I was never in the military. My character is, you know. And so they, they liked that. And I've treated him with, you know, the character with some respect to it. You know, you, you try to make sure your character is well-rounded and well, you know, well thought out. And, you know, and everything I do t- tends to start with character. So it's, uh, you know, I know the character well before I can drop them into a plot because how your, how your character reacts to that plot depends on who your character is. It'd be like taking, you could take me and you and drop us both in a, in a, one of those escape rooms, you know, like they did. You and I would both have, because we're different people would have very different first steps on how we get out, how we try to get out. And your character is like that. If you're if you're creating characters, your characters, who they are informs what they do. It's like if you take, you know, if you take three characters from pop culture and drop them into that same situation, each of them will do things a different way because that's I don't think of them as characters. I think of them as real people. Yeah. Which is a little weird because you now got real people talking in my head. <laughs> <laughs> But it's uh, but but I do if I know who they are and they feel real, then, you know, they they will they will that will inform what they will do. And that also helps me to not write them out of character, because, you know, if I know this character reacted to certain situations before when, when I if I try to write them and make them do something out of character, it won't work. And the reader will notice, you know, have you ever read, you've probably you've read something and go, man, that's just out of character. Or that just doesn't seem like they would do that. It's because Honey, you've gotten a, to. Know- yes. There was like an episode of Dr. Who with that recently that I'm like, Hmm, that is because not. You've gotten, <laughs> right. Cause you've gotten to know that character so well. So when, when, when the character does something that's against what or outside the norm, of what they would normally do. There's two, could be two reasons for it. One, it could just be poor writing. I wrote, I did, I, I didn't pay attention to my own story and I wrote the character wrong, or I didn't listen to the character and I wrote it wrong. That's on me, you know, 
there are times for story reasons and character reasons, you can have your character act out of character, but it worked because of the story. In pop culture, in in in, well, let's do movies and TV. Like if because probably more people, you know, a wider reach of wider audience. When you've you've watched TV shows where your hero character is put in a situation where the only way out is to kill the bad guy, and they didn't have to. It's so out of character for your character to just murder someone or kill someone. But in the terms of that story and what you've seen them go through, you are you you allow it and you forgive it because it was necessary. Yeah. Now it's still out of character, and the care and your character may have problems as a result of that. But you, yeah. So it's 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 one of those things. You, you if you know you're doing it, and you can make it work and make it pay off. Then you can do stuff like that, but you have to do it on purpose because if you just screw up and forget how your character talks, and I've done that, I've forgotten things about characters, and and they just it would nag at me something's not right, and I'd have to go back and realize, oh, I did that wrong. You know, this character would never do that, and you know, so yeah, so yeah, it all comes down to character. I guess it's the same with like. A lot of people like with Batman and Joker, like, why don't you just kill him? It's like, well, it doesn't necessarily work like that. If you kill the main thing, he doesn't really have nothing to be a vigilante about. And same with the Joker. Without one, you don't have the other. True, but but also, killing is very much against... I mean, Batman is Batman because someone committed murder. His... you know, his entire reason for being is someone murdered my parents. I don't want to ever see anybody else get murdered. You know, yeah. I, you know, he, 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 and I know there have been sur- some versions where Batman tends to forget that, you know, miss he's Mr. No guns. And then he shows up with a shotgun in one movie or his, his plane has guns. <laughs> if the character has that, I won't kill. And here's why. There's a great, um, did you ever watch Batman Beyond? Uh, yes. yes okay, yes. well, Batman Beyond was a Batman the Animated Series, uh, which was an excellent series. The first episode of Batman Beyond starts slightly in the future, and it's an older Bruce Wayne. He's, he's created this new suit because he's older and can't do as much as he was before because it, take, it takes a toll on you. And so he's built this super suit to help him. He's still, he's trying to rescue someone who's been kidnapped and the fight does not go his way. And he is losing the fight. And these guys actually get the upper hand on him. And the guy comes at him with a crowbar and Batman picks up the gun. He had knocked out of one of their hands and points it at the guy. That's the only way he can stop him is to point the gun at him. The guy drops the the crowbar, runs off. and then. Bruce looks at the gun in his hand and realizes I'm done because if this is what I have to, you know, is if this is what I have to, you know, fall back on is using this, this gun, this thing I hate, I can't be Batman anymore. You know, I'm done. I, I've reached the limit of what I can do. And I thought that was such a beautifully written explanation of why he stops 
because he could keep fighting, you know, with a gun. But then that goes against every, the reason he was fighting to begin with. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you, but, but it, it, at the core, it fit the character. The character was so anti-gun, don't want to kill people, don't want to use guns. You know, guns killed my parents. I, you know, guns are bad. And, you know, so that was brilliant for that character. And so, yeah, stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff I, I think about a lot with my characters of who they'll do, how they'll do things and who will do what. And Yeah. Sometimes it makes my job harder. <laughs> <laughs> now, with the short stories, have you thought about like doing any like graphic novels or anything like that? love comics 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 are my first love i i got into this uh creativity thing through comics uh my grand goal i don't know if we talked about this last time my grand goal in life was to i'm going to be a comic book artist the downside not good enough with an artist to be a comic book artist <laughs> but that's okay from drawing the comics i learned to write because i started writing stories to have stuff to draw and I love comics. I, I will write comics anytime, anytime I'm able. Um, I actually have one coming out this year. Uh, a team-up book with the character of Domino Lady, who I've written numerous times. And I didn't write these recently. These have been in production a few years. But uh, I'm very excited that it's coming out because I haven't had a, a new comic out in a couple of years. And, uh, probably about three years now. Yeah, so... But I've got a couple comics that are in production that will, I know one will come out this year. Hopefully the second will is one will as well. And, um, but comics are fun. I love comics. I love, I love working with artists and coming up with, you know, the pages and the story and working together to come up with some really interesting, uh, you know, storytelling devices. Um, one of the best feelings in the world is, getting pages in from an artist and seeing the art for the first time and going, Oh, cause it never looks how it looks in my head when I write it, but it always looks better. You know, it's, it's never what I thought, but it's always better. The, the artists I've been very fortunate. I've worked with a lot of fantastic artists who have very, and, and all artists have different ways of visualizing what you say, what you, what you put in the script that you want to happen. And I've been very fortunate to to work with some really fantastic artists, and um, I'm very excited. The Domino Lady. There's three, three or four, four different artists working on that one because uh, it's it collects five issues. Two were actually released, but three have never been released, um, and they're all standalones except the first two. The first two is a two parter, and um, but they're they're actiony team up books with domino lady and other pulp characters having team ups and uh the the things that the guys came up with who did the art for some of the action scenes that i wrote or even some of the sometimes it's not even the action scenes sometimes it's the quiet moments there's one sequence where i have domino lady breaking into a, a wall safe and it's such a simple scene where she's you know, there's internal narration going on while she's fiddling with the tumbler, you know. 
And the way the artist drew it, he broke it up into three panels where you can see her click and click, you know. But that last panel, when it clicks, there's this look on her face. Like, she's very proud of herself, you know, that she just broke into the safe. And then, you know, and so the artist took my simple little, she's listening to the tumbler to break into the safe, and made it visually interesting, you know, the way he did. And so... I love it. It's, it's probably my favorite scene in that particular book. So little things like that is how the artist interprets the idea. And it's fun. I love that. I, I love working with artists that are very creative and yeah, a lot of fun. Awesome. Now I know a lot of people are doing this now because it's a lot more accessible now with iPhones and programs you can get on your phone to edit stuff. Have you thought about with either the shorts or the novels itself doing a sort of a self-made little YouTube miniseries? Uh, I, I've considered. Um, well, actually, that was the, the basis for the idea of snow. My original idea for snow, and it wasn't called snow then, it was called something else. I've, I changed the title a couple of times until I was happy. Um, but the opening couple of, the opening chapter to snow especially was an idea I had in my head for the first chapter in a web series. So in my head, I saw it very visually, you know, we'd film it this way and, you know, the camera would move here and this, you know, and so, but when I, you know, I just don't, I didn't have the resources to do what I wanted. And cause I could film the stuff. Sure. But you still need actors, you know, people to do props, costume all that stuff is still important um so you know it's it has since you know obviously morphed into a book but i do have in my head an idea for a movie that i keep telling myself when i get time and that's where i laugh um, (laughs) when i have time i'm gonna write this movie and it would be a it would be something we could film here if we had to do it ourselves and it's just a matter of, I would need a cast, you know, I'd need actors and, you know, um, I actually have myself in like one of the roles. No, I wouldn't be the star because I'm, you know, you know, we need a real <laughs> actor for that. But I have a, there's a secondary character that would, I would play him and, you know, and then I would probably direct it or something, you know, but, um, but I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like, it's, it sounds good in theory, but then it's like. There's a lot of moving parts, you know. There's a lot of cats to herd to, to get a movie made. and um, But I do know people that do it. And so there are possibilities of ways to get things done. But it won't, nothing will happen until I sit down and write it. So that's the, <laughs> you know. But I have to do it around, like, de- real deadlines. So um, it's in there. I want to do it. Um, I've, I've written a few short screenplays before for some of the fan film guys, and that's been fun. And so, you know, being able to, so I know I can do a script. The, the thing is, I mean, there's a lot of, just like writing a book, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, I can write a script, but it's got to be a good script. You know, the yes. story still has to hold together. There's, you know, you know, it can't just be, this would be a cool scene. That would be a cool scene. There has to be reasons for those scenes to both be in there, you know? So I have, like I said, I have the idea. It would still need a lot of work to flesh it out. Right now in my head, I've got the rough idea, and I know a few scenes. And a lot of it I'm basing on, I've got that location. 
you know, I know where that location is. If we did this here, we could film that, you know. So there's a lot of that in my head. Whether I'll ever get to it or not is, who knows. But I would love to do that. Awesome. I know because the way you've told me, like, from the story, it's very, I wouldn't say it's exactly John Wicky, but it's very in that same realm. Well, and I, I know I, with the hype with that would kind of, you know, give it some more yeah. revenue. Well, with the, my idea for the movie would be more, um, it would be actiony, but I have this idea. A lot of it would take place outdoors. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be quite as much shoot 'em up as a John Wick, but there would be almost like a chase, you know, something, you know, there's a reason for us to be running through the woods. And, um, but yeah, so, but I love action. I mean, you know, if you look at my books, I love action. It's, the Lance Star stuff is pulpy action adventure. The Domino Way is that way. You know, even Evil Ways, which is a mist, is a is a like a horror thriller. There's a lot of action in there. You know, I actually someone asked me once how would I what would be my elevator pitch for Evil Ways, and I was like, well, Evil Ways is what happens if John McClane from Die Hard finds himself in a horror movie because there's a lot of shooting, running, and jumping, and fighting, and blowing shit up. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, the only thing missing is I'd have got to come up with a catchy catchphrase of yippee ki yay Yeah, I, I, I didn't really work a catchphrase. I feel I, I may have let them down there. Yeah, I didn't, you know, catchphrases, I don't know, they sound silly when you're writing them. But, but you know, then again, that's the beauty of that movie, too. That was not intended. To, you know, they didn't write that going, that'll be the catchphrase. They wrote that scene in there, and it's just his smart-ass personality. Yeah. But the audience goes, you know, I love that. That's his catchphrase. And so people started yippee-ki-yaying all over the place. So they said, okay, we got to work that in. And so they work <laughs> it into the other movies, and which is great. That's But the audience, you know, the audience a lot of times is the one that decides what becomes the catchphrase. Because as soon as I try to go, ooh, this is going to be the catchphrase. That'll be the most hated line in the book or the movie, because that's, that'll be the one I've tried so hard to make cool that the audience will hate it. So, yeah. So you leave that stuff up to the audience and see what happens. Yes. I'm guessing we're, it's like the same with, we're not all Mel Brooks. We can't make every scene a catchphrase. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and even, you know, and yeah, and even then, I mean, I'm sure there were, there, there, there are times where he's tried to, you know, this will be, you know, this will be funny or this will be and, and nothing. Nobody, you know, um, I've talked to I've talked to writers before. Um, I talked to a, a comic creator once who said, man, I had this I, I had this book that was my passion project. I poured my heart and my soul into this book. The book came out and nobody cared. I did this book over here for the money. I put no thought into it and I won four awards and it's the best selling book I've ever done. So it's there's a, there comes a point where it stops being what we want it to be and it becomes it belongs to the audience and the audience then decides, you know, this is this is what we like, this is what we don't like or this is your catchphrase. And yeah, so at, at some point we just have to, we turn it over to the audience and 
I guess it's the yeah. same with like songs or certain bands. I know the like one that comes to mind. I had to tell my girlfriend like the Flock of Seagulls, Iran. Like to this day, that guy is like, I'm not playing the song to when I think the rapper Flowrider made a rendition of the song, and he was like, How much do I need to pay you for? And he was like, Nothing. You can have it. You you can have it. I'm I played that song for thirty or forty something years. You can have Iran. I'm not playing it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, because it's probably when he wrote when they wrote it, it. It's not the song that they thought would be the hit. You know, um, you're too young to remember this, but when I was a kid, you would get the small records. The they had one song on one side, one song on the other, and and a record. You know, that's, that's the vinyl, but it was a small vinyl, <laughs> <laughs> and they would put the song they thought was going to be the hit was the A side. But you, because that B side is there, you fill it up, you know? So they would put the songs they didn't think were going to be hits on the B side. So you would, when you bought the, when you bought the the record, you bought it for the A side, but the, the B side was just there with it. And there were so many times where that B side ended up being a bigger hit than the A side. Because, but you know, the the studio, the, the people making the music didn't think it was that. You know, they thought this is the thing, but the audience falls in love with the thing that you didn't think they would. You know, and and it's all subjective. I mean, excuse me, how many times have we heard the story of um, this movie that becomes super popular was turned down by twenty different people because they didn't understand it. One guy takes a chance, or one studio takes a chance on it, and it becomes the biggest movie ever. Um, books are the same way, you know. Stephen King has said in interviews that his first novel was rejected like 20-something times Whoa. before a publisher said, yeah, we like this. So there's no hard and fast formula for what works and what doesn't. A lot of times, a lot of times it's dumb luck a lot of times it's you know very often it's finding that one person who sees something in it that no one else does who goes ooh you know put it this way there's somebody that goes sharks in a tornado I'll buy that you know so yeah, so sometimes it takes you know, and we all laugh at the at Sharknado. Sharknado has made a ton of money. Yeah, a lot of you know they made a good deal of money off that. Um. So yeah, so it it just it's one of those weird weird kind of things. I watched uh, an interview the other night on YouTube with uh, Clancy Brown, who you know voices Lex Luthor and. Does a lot of stuff, but he was in a he was in a movie called Highlander, where he was the villain, and he was telling the story about how Highlander happened. That because the guy that wrote Highlander was in college at the time, and so the studio he entered it in like some contest or something, and so the studio bought it for like next to nothing, and said, "Well, it'll be a like a little indie film. It won't have a big budget." But you'll make, we'll pay you this little pittance of, you know, a couple hundred bucks right now. And you'll get percentages of the profit. 
And so he was in college. He, you know, he's fine. You know, the couple hundred dollars was great, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that may be all you make. But so they go and it's still a low budget thing until Sean Connery decides he wants to be in the movie. And so the moment Sean Connery signs, the budget goes from way down here to up here because we got Sean Connery, you know? (laughs) And so then they hire, you know, Christopher Lambert, who wasn't as well known here. He was a big star, you know, in England. So they were like, yep, the budget went up again. And so they were like, well, at what point did you, you know, they were talking to, because they were interviewing Clancy Brown. He goes, well, what point did you get, you know, brought into this? He says, well, they cast me last because they paid me next to nothing too, because I wasn't, you know, but the whole point of this whole story was, is it's like the, the, the guy in college who was like 19 at the time, 20 made a couple, made millions because every time they would add one of these big stars to it, the budget went up and his profit. So his points went up. Yeah. And so, so it's one of those things. It's like, you know, he was happy just to sell it and be, you know, nothing will ever happen with it. And it became this big thing. And there've been what, four Highlander movies, two TV series, three, two TV series and a cartoon. He gets oh, a yeah. piece of all that, you know, cause he created, he gets something from all that. And that's probably so, with Clancy Brown. That's also probably before SpongeBob, which they oh, never yeah, knew would yeah. take off. No, no. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was way, way, way. But this was early eighties when Highlander, uh, you know, happened, but, but, but yeah, it's one of those things that you just, you just never know, you know, you never know what's going to be, you hope everything you do will be popular, but I've, I've written stuff that, you know, comes out and nobody cares. And I've also written stuff that comes out and it's a big hit for whatever, you know, and you, you don't know why, you know, what is it about this project? that grabs people's attention. Cause you don't always know. We don't always get that feedback. You know, usually the mostly you, when you hear from fan, uh, people that have read your work is if they don't like it, you don't really hear that much from the ones that like it. Oh yeah. I think like with Rocky horror, like when it first came out, everybody was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. What is this weird thing? And now Rocky horror is one of the biggest yeah. cult classics out there. Well, the, when, when a project happens can have as much, to do with that like rocky horror when it came out it, it, it was technically a bomb it was a it was a movie i don't think it did well i don't think it made its money but it became a cult classic highlander we're talking about Highlander the same way highlander the first movie you know it made money but it wasn't like you know it wasn't Box like Star Wars. yeah yes and and so but they become cult classics because the things happen later like there's a lot of movies that became popular n- because we, we new audiences found them later when i was a kid you know this in the in the i'm gonna, feel, I'm gonna make it sound like we're really old here but in the early days of basic cable you know we would go to my grandmother's house on sunday for dinner and so we'd all have family dinner and then me and my cousins would end up in the living room because my grandmother had cable, which, you know, back then that was HBO and a bunch of basic channels. You know, that was that's yes. what she. But so we could watch uh, T, TNT, um, what was called the super uh, 
Superstation then. Um, the T TBS had the Superstation. Because we lived, we always, we got TBS because we lived in Atlanta, which is where TBS was from. But it was basic cable everywhere else. But they started showing on the weekends these action movies that didn't do well in theaters. And they a whole new audience. That's where I discovered Big Trouble in Little China, which was a didn't was a movie that technically bombed. Yeah. But it found an audience and got that cult classic status. Uh, so, I just watched that recently with my girlfriend, and she's like, "What you've never seen?" I was like, "I know of it." Yeah. And then she showed me. I was like, "Okay, now I get it. This yeah. is that's my jam." Because <laughs> it's one of those things that uh, there's a lot of times. It's not the like if you put out a movie. And your movie comes out. It's not that your movie's bad. You just had the misfortune of putting out your movie the same weekend Avengers Endgame came out. Yes. Had you put your movie out two months earlier, your movie might have done. So, so yeah, because it, it bugs me sometimes because I do hear people say, oh, the movie bombed. It was awful. Just because it bombed doesn't make it awful. It could have been awful. But sometimes time and place is, you know, like... Yeah. The Tenant movie that they put out in theaters last year while everybody was on lockdown. You know, there's this big thing of, oh, we can't believe it failed. Well, sure you can. Everybody's locked up in their house. Yes. Like, I would have, on a normal year, I would have been there. I would have gone and seen it with my friends on opening weekend. As it is, I haven't seen it yet. Because, you know, we're just not doing theaters now. Wonder Woman was the same way. People were like... Wonder Woman failed at the box office. Well, no shit. I watched it at home on HBO. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's time, time and place helps is a, is a big factor in these things. If you put out a book in February and nobody cares, it, it may not be that because your book sucks. It just may be that you put it out the same time. I don't know. Three other big name authors had books come out. Yeah. And people who, cause there are certain people that are, gonna sell you know Stephen King Michael Connelly James Patterson their books are gonna sell X number of million the week they come out yeah which means especially in a time and place where a lot of people are out of work the people that are buying those books they've already earmarked money for those guys books those authors are must buy I have a list like that you know new Michael Connelly comes out I've got it that week you know Oh, yeah, so David Sedaris for, for me. Yeah, so you plan for that. So if I put out a book that same week as one of the big guys, a lot of people, some people who might have noticed my book won't because they were getting that. And the problem, the trick as an indie author, or as any author really, is, okay, they didn't buy it the week it came out because their money was tied up in getting this new book from Stephen King. Okay, no problem. I still have to do something that when they get paid in two weeks again to remember my book. Yes. That's where the truck. So, so we're constantly doing things to promote, to get the word out. And hopefully audiences will find us because there's no, there's no guarantee that if someone buys snow falls, they are going to buy snowstorm. So I have to remind people that it's there and it's, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's a constant and you're not, and you're not just promoting the, the new book. You're promoting everything. Evil ways came out in 2005. I still promote that book. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, and, like, one of the big things that, like, when you talk about the competition, like, John Carpenter's The Thing is a big thing, but when it came out, it was going up against E.T., and most people went to go see E.T. over The Thing. Yeah. Right, because, yeah, because not everybody can afford to go see every movie in the theater. So The Thing, yeah, The Thing was technically a bomb. But then that's where the thing, like, uh, seeing things on Sundays... The Thing was one of those movies in heavy rotation, you know? Yeah. And I have much... I've never actually seen E.T. I, I, a lot of people are like, what? You know, like, I've never <laughs> actually seen E.T. Um, I've seen bits of it, but I've never seen, like, from beginning to end the whole movie. And it just wasn't... what You know, it just wasn't for me. It just it didn't look like anything I'd be interested in. I know I'm in the minority there, but it just, you know... <laughs> but then... But now... I still, I didn't see the, we weren't, my, my family was not movie people, so we didn't go to theaters very often. Um, it's a miracle that I saw Star Wars in the, the in the drive-in when I was a kid, when it came out. That was a minor miracle. But the, I found, my, I love John Carpenter's The Thing, and, but I discovered it on the weekends. And I discovered it, too, watching it on basic cable. It's heavily edited, you know, the, oh, language, yeah. the language is cut out or overdubbed. Some of the more graphic elements are taken out. So a lot of these movies like that, I first discovered that way. Then as I got older and was able to like, like rent VHS tapes or um, then later when I could go buy stuff, you start finding these movies and going... Oh, because it's like a whole new experience because I've only seen it edited, edited, you know, for television. Now I'm watching it as it was in the theater in widescreen. And uh, so it's like watching a whole new movie. And so some of the some of my favorite movies I've never seen in the theater. And I've I've, I've tried to over the years fix that because. In the last five or six years, they've been. There's a lot of places they're doing now what they like the retro movies. Yes. So I have been able to see Jaws in the theater. I have been able to see Die Hard in the theater, or The Wrath of Khan, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Alien. And um, there's still movies I'd love to see in the theater that I haven't had the opportunity to. But uh, but I've I've been able to 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 make it up with some of them, and it is a. It is a vastly different experience. I know Jaws forward and backward, you know, that's, you know, but still watching it on the big screen, it was like watching a new movie because you're, you're picking up little odds and ends you miss on the smaller. Oh yeah. It's like when me and my best friend and his girlfriend went to see recently, they did Empire Strikes Back in mm -hmm. theater. And, uh, it was just us three in the theater and she was watching and we're like, she's like, I don't want to see it. We're like, she's like, I know this is y'all's favorite movie. Like you've seen it, you know, every single line, what's going to happen. But we're like, as being huge Star Wars fans, like just seeing this as seeing the, the film that made this franchise, like one of the best ones of me and him considered that movie, the best one of the franchise. And just the part, like we were like waiting on the edge of our seats and it's like, okay, here's the, Here's the Luke and Vader scene where he's like, you're not my father. And we're like, okay. And then she looked at us because we we're both on the edge. And then we we're like, both at the same time, mouth the line along with Mark Hamill. And we both looked at us like, 
finally we saw it full blast like we're supposed to and she was just laughing at us because we're just like us as kids just are just seeing that that old scroll just the full size of the way it was meant to be seen was just amazing there's something to be said for setting an atmosphere and things like that i mean you know you it's a different feeling sitting there in that giant dark room with the the loud sound echoing off those concrete walls and you know that's different than me sitting here in my my living room watching it on the tv where i watch everything else and you know it, it is a different feeling and you know and 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 feeling emotion and memory plays into a lot of these things a lot of times some of your i have memories of movies and tv shows or songs or books that even though i like like i like the movie but i remember what was going on at the same time too so that memory becomes tied to that movie and so sometimes it, i mean even movies that weren't awesome movies are tied to a great memory you know so you like that movie because of that or we're we're very strange creatures the way we tie these oh, yeah. things together but but it does i mean um yeah with that talk- movie that's was our first when we became friends like that was our he introduced me to like star wars and he was like hey there's this i know you're into geek stuff let me show you star wars and that was the movie that we watched mm-hmm. same with Spaceballs. it was our when we hung out that was our movie so i was like this is our our movie that represents our friendship <laughs> When when I was a kid, I mean, because I'm 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 a bit older than you, so it's there. It's hard to explain what it was like because I was around when Star Wars premiered. You know, now we didn't. Like I said, my family were not big movie people, so we did not run out the week it opened. Um, but Star Wars, at, especially at that time, because I was in 1977, I was six. I turned seven. You know, later that year. So I think I was either seven or eight when I saw the movie. It's hard to explain how life-changing that movie was, which is weird. You're seven years old, you know. What do you know that's changed so much? (laughs) But truly had never seen anything like that before. It was was such a – it was such an – almost overwhelming experience because we were bombarded with toy ads and commercials and star Wars was everywhere. People are wearing star. It's kind of like the Avengers fever where all of a sudden people are wearing captain America shirts and you know, the the, people who would never be into the culture are wearing the stuff. (laughs) That was, that was star Wars everywhere. People who, people who, yeah, who people who did were not sci-fi fans were Star Wars fans. That it was it became such an almost instant part of pop culture that whether you were into it or not, you knew what it was. It was everywhere. So it you know, there were commercials all the time, there were board games, the toys obviously were everywhere, the Various things like that. The, the, there were comics. I remember I had the Treasury edition of the, the the comic, which was awesome, and I read it until it fell apart. You know, um, but it was it was everywhere, and it was such a a big thing. 
And I remember, I have a very specific memory of seeing it. It was a wonderful day. It was a day I, it's one of those days I cherish fully from my childhood. We went out. It was on a Saturday. I remember it was a Saturday. We went out. The drive, this was still when there were drive throughs everywhere. And so right next to 75, or 85 and 285 in here in Atlanta, there was, uh, it's not there anymore, but there was a drive-in uh, that had some screens. And then if you went down just a little further, there was another one. You went during the day, and during the day on Saturdays, it was a flea market. People had their tents set up and were selling stuff. And so we made a day of it. We went to the flea market and we looked around and I remember buying some comics. It was the day I bought my first comic featuring the Avengers who I'd never heard of. Um, that kind of thing. I, so I remember all this. So we made a day of it, bought some comics, whatever. Went, we, had, we went back home because we, we didn't live far from it. We, had, we, had dinner, we ate dinner out and we drove to the, theater, to the drive-in as it was getting dark. We took our food with us. We ate there in the in our car, and it was a double feature because it was a kids' weekend. Is, is how they had built it. So there were kids everywhere, and it was a kids' weekend. And they were doing a double feature. They were doing the Jungle Book. So technically, the Jungle Book was the first movie I ever saw in the theater. So I watched the Jungle Book, which I had seen before on TV. You know, so I knew the Jungle Book, and so. Most of the kids there did, so there were a lot of us were out playing on the little playground watching the Jungle Book, and you could still hear it and all this. So when the Jungle Book ends, there's a little intermission, and you, it was getting it was getting a little later. So all the you know we all kind of get back in our cars, and I remember there, and then Star Wars was the second movie, you know, and I now all I knew were the commercials and the toys, and and I remember just being enraptured by this movie and the same thing so many other people will tell you the, the the opening crawl was cool but when that star destroyer comes over overhead and it's just so huge as it's flying out chasing the little ship that just blew my mind and and it was just yeah it was a ride that that like i said it's it's hard to put into words i'm stumbling over trying to explain how i felt you know, through the fog, through the fog of memory, but it's one of those. Like I said, it's one of those days. I have a very fond memory of that day, of all of that, and it's one of those memories that's crystal clear to me. And so it was a love affair that began with those Star Wars movies. Was right there because as cool as the Jungle Book was, Star Wars was a better movie, and that was my stuff because I was, you know, because I was big into sci-fi. You know, I watched Star Trek, and you know, after school and. You know, that kind of, so I, I, you know, I knew some sci-fi stuff. And so going to other planets and that kind of, that was, that was my wheelhouse. And before I even knew what a wheelhouse was. And, <laughs> and uh, so it was just, yeah, it was a, it's, it was a fantastic moment. And so that began my love affair with, with, with all things Star Wars. And I did actually see all of the Star Wars movies in the theater. Um, my parents didn't go see the other ones, but I was a little older and I had cousins that were going to see empire. And so I tagged along with my cousins. So I got to see it in a theater. I got to see return of the Jedi in a theater, you know, so it was great. So that, that was, that was cool. But, you know, but then as cable came along, I remember that star Wars very tied 
to Thanksgiving and Christmas for me because the USA Network used to play them every Thanksgiving day. They'd play all three of them. And on Christmas Day, they would play all three of them. So while we were at relatives, grandparents' houses, waiting for food, you know, where they're rushing the kids to go be somewhere else, I was in front of the TV watching Star Wars. And they're like, dinner? And I'm like, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Death Star hasn't exploded yet. You can hang on. (laughs) Um, That kind of thing. So, you know, so I've tied those movies to Christmas. You know, Star Wars still to this day makes me think of Christmas, and it's 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 weird. Now with Christmas and Star Wars, did you see the special when it came out? I did, I did. I was I was a kid, you know. I at the time it was weird, but you know what? It didn't matter. It was Star Wars, and we were happy to have it. It was just it was there, you know. Yes, it was weird. I I watched it with my brother. A couple of years ago, he had never seen it, and it was all over Facebook. Like someone put it on YouTube. Yes, so, yes, that's how I see it recently. Yeah, and George so destroyed it as much as possible. Right, and so I, <laughs> I was telling my brother about it, and I was like, I was like, it's pretty bad. I mean, I remember it; it's pretty bad. But you know, again, we were so happy to have, you know, we were so happy to have anything Star Wars, but it was pretty bad. And he's like, well, now I've got to see it. So. He and I actually sat and watched it. Uh, this was probably three or four years ago now, on YouTube. We sat and we watched it, and I'm cringing through all of this, especially you know the parts I didn't, you know, like I didn't when when it wasn't about Luke Han and Leia and all that. I didn't care, you know. You mean the but, uh, the grandpa VR yeah, here, sex simulator? <laughs> but but the 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 thing that that astounded me about watching it, my brother who was in his 30s, late 30s at the time who had never seen it, who was a Star Wars fan. He liked the movies. He found it incredibly entertaining. Not in the, I love it, but in the, oh my God, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. So all the parts that made me cringe made him laugh hysterically. And uh, so I'm glad we we got to do that together too. That was, uh, that was a, a fond memory Although it was a little painful at the time, <laughs> but you know, but, uh, but yeah, he found the whole thing just incredibly funny. And, and, uh, so, so it, it gave me a new perspective on it that if you laugh at it or laugh with it, that it's, it's not as hard to watch. Oh yes. I always tell anybody else, like, if you consider yourself a fan, you had to watch it at least once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it was, and I, there's a, I watched them. There's a documentary too called, about the making of the, the holiday special. And for all the crap that was going on behind the scenes, we're lucky we got what we got. You know? Oh, yeah. That it went through like one director came in and started it, and then he left, quit or left. And they brought in another guy who had a very short window because he had to work on something else. And so his window closed and he, so he shot it, but he didn't put any of it together. So they had to bring in a third director to then assemble the show. And the director that ended up shooting most of it, the only thing he had ever done before was variety shows. So he didn't, you know, that's why there's so much of that stuff like B. Arthur singing, you know, and, you know, and, and two, 
these were big stars at the time too. Oh know? yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people look at it now and go, "Oh, it's the girl, it's the woman from Golden Girls." But you know, and and not that that wasn't popular, but B. Arthur was a bigger, a big star back then. Oh yeah, so Art, Art Carney and, and yeah, Harvey Corman. Yeah, these were big names, and because apparently they got them for next to nothing. Oh my gosh! And and then like Mark and Harrison and Carrie. None of them really want. Well, Carrie wanted to do it only if she could sing, as according to this documentary. She wanted to sing because she was trying to start a singing career. Mark Campbell said he would do it if he didn't have to sing because <laughs> apparently <laughs> they were going to write a number for him to sing. And he's like, oh no. And then Harrison just didn't want to do it. But they're like, do you want to be an Empire Strikes Back? Good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you signed this lifetime contract. You've signed this contract, yes. It's and so, um, yeah. It's just you know, it it is what it is. But again, it was our first look at Boba Fett, which was pretty cool. Oh yeah. Um, I remember that being fun. You know, like I said, as a kid, I was so thrilled to see Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Chewbacca and Princess Leia and the droids and I. It, you know, because as a kid these weren't actors doing a job they didn't want to do. These were just those characters again. And I was just thrilled to see them. So, but again, it was just the one time it was, it was, <laughs> a good 40, it was a good, you know, 30 some odd years, 40 years later before I saw it the second time. <laughs> oh, but, I know. I told my girlfriend, I was like, okay, uh, it's going to be our, I think, I, th- I can't remember what it was. I think it was like first Christmas. I was like, we didn't get to do it together this year. I was like, well, next year, it's going to be us together for Christmas. We're going to watch this. And she's like, I was like, do not go on YouTube and watch it. We're going to watch it together because I want to see your reaction in person. Yeah, it's an experience. I mean, if, yeah, I, you know, yeah, it's, uh, I would never tell anybody not to watch it. I mean, like I said, it's an experience. You, There's been so much said about it. You kind of know what you're getting, you know. Like the and, joke that I've always said is like, you have B. Arthur, Art Carney, and all these comedians and it still wasn't funny. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's uh and some of it when you look at it through the the uh, the eyes of an adult, some of it shouldn't have been on a kids show anyway. Oh yeah, like I said going back to the the grandpa scene with Yeah. Much like that's definitely a VR um adult massage chair. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's, he's watching wookie porn. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But, you know, so yeah, so, but yeah, as a kid, you know, that you didn't know any of that stuff. But yeah, as an adult, I watch it and go, wait a minute. <laughs> but what can you do? So, yes, how did we get on the topic of Star Wars? I don't know. But yeah, it was, nostalgia, it was a good topic. Nostalgia. <laughs> uh, well, nostalgia, I mean, yeah, nostalgia rules my life. I'm, you can't see them from here, but I'm surrounded by books and figures and Oh, yes. Like this one yeah. came in the mail today. I got this in the mail today. I got a, a Buck Rogers pop up book I, I found awesome. in, on eBay and bought. Or not on eBay, Thrift Books. So I am such a awesome. weird, wonky collector of things. Now, since you are a collector, how have you have you seen any or been able to check out any of the new? Because uh, I know you're from that era of the Masters of the Universe stuff that's come out recently. I have not. I, I don't buy a lot of toys um, just because I can't afford them. Man, if I get into that, I'm scrub screwed. <laughs> um, I do get figures occasionally, you know, uh, if I find a cool sculpt or something. I own like four or five 
pop figures, that kind of thing. Um, my favorite I keep on my desk, I have a Herbie the Robot that I just... Oh, that is The Fantastic awesome. Four, I could not pass up. <laughs> um, but, no, so, I was a fan of Masters of the Universe, uh, the cartoon when I was a kid. And I did have some of the toys. But the what I remember most, and I don't have them anymore, they used to have these uh, book and tape sets. That, which were like the follow-up to book and records we had in the 70s. In the 80s, they had oh, books. Yeah. With I have a uh, Looney Tunes version of one of those. It's uh, Porky Pig, and then you put on the vinyl, and it has the book when you read in the vinyl. Yep, yep. And so there were a lot of Masters of the Universe, and they were square about the size of them. Like, you could see they were made to put a record in, but then they stopped making records, and so they put <laughs> But so they were square, and you, you, but you could read them, and they were beautifully painted books and you could read along and you could listen to the audio because it would make this dinging sound when it was time to turn the page and and i remember those being great and the little comics that were in the masters of the universe figures there were little comic mini comics in there and those were fun and i did bring those back i looked at the figures mm -hmm. recently they're in the new ones they brought back the mini comics nice so so i i was a yeah i just i never got into I bought toys I like to play with. Um, I bought action figures I like to play with. That was really it. I didn't collect any. Um, you know, I would find... That was probably one of the things, too, that, that helped me start learning how to tell stories and write. I, I didn't have a lot. We were, we were, we were not well off. We were, we, were, we were quite poor. So it was rare for me to get... Like, like, I'd have friends that were like, well, I'm going to play with my Star Wars toys today. And I was like, I've got three Star Wars characters. I've got two G.I. Joes. And I've got two Star Trek. I want to play. I'm playing with all of them. <laughs> you know, because I don't have enough to play with just, you know. One but set. I would, right. So I started, like, coming up with reasons why they all existed in the same world. Or gave them new, you know. They're, they exist in this world because of this. And my two favorite figures were Boba Fett and Destro from G.I. Joe. Mm -hmm. And because I had one of the early Boba Fetts, you know, they didn't shoot the thing, but I mean, it was because uh, I don't think anybody actually ever had one. Yeah, I that was the, actually, I think, a prototype. Only like three I, of I, them. Well, got I out. remember the packages had it on the back that they were going to do that, but the ones I got, it didn't, you know. Um, but both that was such a cool character and Destro was such a cool character. And so I started coming up with stories and the, like the premise I came up with was Destro and Boba Fett are technically both contractors for these evil groups. You know, they didn't, they weren't part of it. They worked for it because this was before Destro just was the, you know, like in the early G.I. Joes, Destro wasn't part of Cobra. He just sold them weapons. Yeah. And so I came up with this plan because I had a I had a ship too. One year for Christmas, I got one of the Star Wars ships, the ones where the wing folds up like in, in you know, so when they fly into the second Death Star when they're trying oh, to get yes, down. Yes, yes. They're trying to get down to Endor, that ship they've they've stolen. So I had that. I forget what it's called. And so in my my concept. Both Destro and Boba Fett are tired of working for their idiot bosses and their idiot evil empires because they 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 just I keep losing all the time, you know. 
We had a Death Star, they blew it up. We had a second Death Star, they blew it up. <laughs> you know, Cobra, always getting beat. To heck with these guys, we're going to go out on our own. And so they strike out on their own, they steal this ship, and they fly off, you know, into the far corners of the galaxy far, far away, and they have adventures. And so they go to these planets, and then it becomes a little Star Trek. You know, we go to a planet, there's a problem. Other <laughs> characters are playing the, you know. And so I would come up with these just huge scenarios of what they're doing and them on these adventures. And there's a monster, and there's, or we get into a, we're trapped in this facility, or, you know, there's plague, or there's just something. Um, it came to an end <laughs> when, when, I, my dad had one of those caulk guns. You know, you put the caulk in it and, yes. and it, it pushes the little stop down. So I put Destro in it. It's the death trap and it's getting closer. <laughs> and I clicked it one too many times and, and Destro, ex Destro exploded. <laughs> um, so I buried Destro and put him, put him in a box and you know, buried him in the backyard. And, and, you know, Boba Fett didn't survive much longer after that. And, um, but I think, like I said, that was an early, an early way for my creativity to start manifesting itself. So I started telling stories without thinking of one day I might tell stories for a living. It was oh, just yeah. something, you know, but that was where, you know, and I hadn't thought of them for years. And I did a panel at a convention where we talked about the toys we grew up with. And I told that yes. story. And so it was actually then got hired to put it in a book. Like there was a book about GI Joe and about our experiences with oh. GI Joe. And so I, I wrote it for this book too. So, so it was really cool. And I thought, Oh, that's neat. It's a nice memory and all this last Christmas, Christmas of last year, a friend of mine actually went out and found like those figures and gave me, the, so I now oh. have, I don't know if you can see it from here. I do have up there on the shelf next to let it snow. I do have in a box a uh, Destro and a and a Boba Fett up there. Oh, that so awesome. that is that was that was a really nice, uh, very nice surprise, and might my, my, might have choked me up a little. It was I, I won't I won't lie um, that it, you know because you know it's just one of those things. It was like it was such a big part of my childhood, but then I just kind of walled it off and didn't think about it again for a long time. Oh and, yeah, uh, same thing. Like I did that with me and my buddy with our wrestling figures and we we made our own matches. And then like Hot Wheels was a thing for me. We couldn't afford growing up. We could afford the Hot Wheels, but the tracks and the sets mm -hmm. were really expensive. So what we did is we grew up in a, my, my dad used to drag race all the time uh, and his buddies had cars and stuff. And so he we took some wood and stuff and we made a track and my sister's husband Reed did it too. We made a track out of the wood planks and like the wall trim and we get mm -hmm. our Hot Wheels and drag race them and make our own thing. And me and my buddy recently, we'd had with the wrestling stuff, like we just talked about it because WWE came out with a card game with that you would face each other. And before that, there we made our own because I was like, dude, they've ripped us off. We just had our cards, trader cards from Tops, and some little point cards they made for the show. And we would do our little matching. I'm like, dude, they totally ripped us <laughs> off. We made that game like 10 years ago yeah i remember when my dad went and bought some sand and put a lot of sand out in the backyard so i'd have i could like cut roads in the sand you know 
I would make, I used to make, because <laughs> I couldn't afford a lot of ships. So I used to make, you would buy those gumball machines where you put a quarter in there and you get the yes. little egg. It wasn't an egg, but it was, you would unscrew the top. It almost looked like an acorn. You'd unscrew the oh, top. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you unscrewed the top, you could shove the lid inside the, the, the part that was rounded and your figure would fit just perfectly. And so a little paint and magic marker and it becomes a little speeder or a little one-man oh, ship. that's and awesome. So I would do stuff like that and just come up with creative ways to, you know, to play. And, and I think a lot of that stuck with me in terms of being creative with telling stories and coming up with different, different things and ideas of how to, how to get story ideas across, you know. And, and so, and my mind keeps making stuff, you know, I'm, I'm constantly coming up with ideas I don't have time to work on. So, I mean, like the brain keeps making, but the hand doesn't know how to write it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, dude, I'm, I, I'm like, I'm booked for the next six months uh, in the box. You go, you know, talk to me again in six months. And uh, so, yeah, so it's, uh, which is cool. I'm still happy. The ideas still come, you know, the characters still talk to me. Um, you know, snow reminds me ever so often he's there. I mean, excuse me. The book that came out recently, the in the wind is a murder is a mystery, uh, thriller. And, uh, it's the first in a series about the sheriff of this small town and his deputies and solving mysteries. The character, this is the third appearance of the character. They actually appear in two novels that were published they weren't the star of those. They were secondary characters. They appear in evil ways. They appear in deadly games. I never thought of any longevity with these characters. Like I never actually expected to write them again after evil ways. And then when I was writing deadly games, I used the same fictional town for part of it where I had created for evil ways. Cause I invented my own town. And so part of the story ended up, I needed a place for the second half of the story that takes place outside of Atlanta. So it's like, well, you know, I went through all this trouble to build this town. I'll just use that. And so as the story progressed, this little voice in the back of my head is like, isn't this the point where you call the cops? You know, shouldn't you call the cops? Man, the <laughs> cops would really should really be involved when something like this is going on. So I ended up, it made sense to work them into the story. And so again, they're not the star, but they're, an important part of the story. And so I finished that book and I was like, okay, I'm never going to write these guys again. But every so often over the years, that voice in the back of my head would just every once in a while knock on the back of my head and go, by the way, still here. Um, <laughs> we haven't gone anywhere. You know, do you got a story for us? And, and I, you know, I would ignore them and, you know, put them back in their box and go on with what I was doing. And then one day an idea came to me for a story. And I was like, Ooh, that's not a bad idea for a story. I don't know who the story's for. Cause sometimes you get a, an idea and you don't know which character it's for. Cause again, not all stories work for all characters and vice versa. So I get this idea of, of this story about a, a missing witness. And again, it's kind of like, I see this stuff as like a movie in my head sometimes when I first come up with it. So it's kind of like the opening to snow. I saw it as if it were a movie because it starts with a safe house and these, these U uh, S marshals and FBI agents are babysitting this squirrely little witness. And they're in this house. They're out in the middle of nowhere in the country. And 
the bad guys have found them and sneak into the house and start shooting the house up and you know killing the killing the agents trying to get to the to get to the witness and some you know there's a fight the house ends up exploding there's an explosion in the house and the the witness gets away and he runs off into the woods you know and now they've got a, the bad guys have got to find him and then I'm like, well, who's going to investigate all this? That that was what I didn't know. So I'm like, does this work for e- the characters in Evil Ways? Mm, yeah, not really. Does it work for the? So I'm like, well, maybe I'll do. I'll have to create a new character or something. And then again, there's this little tapping. You know that 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 town they're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's Somersville, dummy. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, they're in Somersville. That and suddenly, the, the I knew. I knew who the bad guy was. I knew what the witness was running from. <clears throat> I'm like, oh, okay. The sheriff will be the one investigating. His deputies are there. I can do all this. And and suddenly the pieces started falling into place. And it was just a matter of that character was waiting for the right story to launch them. And it took longer than that character probably wanted it to. <laughs> but... But it was also it's I think again like we said earlier time and place is 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 important I think yes. that may not have worked as well because a few years ago if I'd have come up with this story I'd have done it I would have been trying to find a publisher to do it you know shopping it around it wouldn't be a novella like it is now it would have to be a novel so it would take longer to write and it might not be as good because it, you would have to sh- you know cause, when you're talking to publishers, you have to fit the size they're going to publish. So it would have to be longer. And so that might make the story less interesting, maybe, because I'd have to add things to it. And so whereas now, when it when the idea hit me last year, I was starting to do more of my own stuff and doing the snow novellas where we do the small novella because we can sell it cheap and then collect them. We can do that, and this could be a series. And so, if it does okay, we'll at least get three books because I want enough to put them in a in a collection, you know. So, time and place, I think, play the factor. That book might not have worked as well had I tried to write it four years ago. But this year or last year, when I did it, I was more in a place of I'm doing more stuff as a small press publisher myself with the snow books and whatnot. And this fits, I can use that model in this series. And suddenly the pieces fell into place and it worked. And thankfully, you know, uh, cause you know, like I said, a lot of times, once you put it out there, it's up to the audience, whether they like it or not. And I've been very impressed with the feedback that we've gotten, you know, people seem to like the characters, um, you know, and so we're going to do more. And so, even though, you know, it would have been cool to write these characters earlier than, than I did, the time and place worked well for it. So now have you I know that you uh, a lot of your books are like that. Have you thought about doing anything space uh, Star Trek, Star Wars well, type I, novels? Or? Well, I have. I mean, I have a science fiction novel out there. Um, there was the second one I wrote was uh, after Evil Ways, a Earth Strike Agenda came out. Oh, which cool. is a which is a science fiction novel. It's a full length, hundred thousand word, you know, space epic. Um, it's like a space. It's a little bit space opery. Um, and I've done 
I've done sci-fi shorter pieces. Um, I have a 99 cent ebook out there called Samaritan, which is, uh, it's, it's basically what if, uh, what if, uh, what if the enterprise picked up, uh, I'm trying to say this without spoiling anything. You know, what if the crew of the enterprise found themselves in, in an alien movie or a predator movie? Oh, cool. Um, yeah, that's a good way to do it without, you know, or, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, it's that kind of thing. You you kind of make, and then I actually have an idea for a second Samaritan story, which I've plotted, loosely plotted, but I haven't been able to work into the schedule yet. Um, and I've done sci-fi here and there. I have a, I have a book out called Frontier, which is a collection of sci-fi shorts I've done over the years. Um, and I've got a few others I've done that I'm probably going to collect later and do some new ones a lot of it's just finding time to get it all worked in i did uh two of the short stories that i did over the years for anthologies are being turned into radio dramas um i adapted them well it was supposed to happen last year the pandemic has really screwed schedules up so hopefully it'll happen this year because it's hard to get people together you know but i did them for this uh over in europe uh, a publisher over there there i took and i adapted the two short stories i wrote i turned them into radio plays so i, I script wrote the script and for full cast audio oh cool not yeah so two of those are sci-fi stories which will happen one of them is called um another saturday night on outpost nine and one is the other one is called uh midway um and i love both of those and so that's fun so i'm really curious once they get going, uh, how it's going to sound with the full cast, and um, and if it does well, hopefully, you know, we may we may do some more. Um, so very sort of like big finish type thing. Kinda, yeah. Same kind of same kind of premise, yeah. Um, I do have an idea. One of those, I get these ideas that I don't have time to work on. I do have an idea. I wrote the first chapter for it because it hit me one night so hard it woke me up. This idea. <laughs> And so, laying in bed on my cell phone, I wrote the first chapter to oh a sci-fi, a sci-fi like a um, uh, uh, trying to think of a way to describe it, like a sci-fi military type thing. Um, imagine like an it'd be like an X X Wing Rogue Squadron or something. It'd be oh, that kind cool. of thing. It's like you're fo- you would follow this these these fighter pilots and you know on their missions and whatnot so so yeah all of this came to me so i I wrote the first chapter of it like in bed um it needs work because i was half asleep when i wrote it but (laughs) the i i got the idea down so it's in the when you get time file um i would like to i would like to do that that was fun um but yeah Uh, most of the stuff and and right now i'm also doing the publisher hasn't announced it, so I can't say what it is, but I'm doing an old pulp character, uh, a novel with an old pulp character who finds himself in this sci-fi crazy world that's based on another popular TV and movie place. A place that's been figured <laughs> in, a place that's been featured in movies and TV and books and Yes, and he finds himself there, and yeah. that sounds interesting. That sounds yeah, cool. it's 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 a really cool time. It's like character's name in play. You know, it's like it's real <laughs> simple. It's like 
but I, I can't say what it is yet because the publisher hasn't announced Blank it, in so. the place that you'll recognize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like character X in blank, you know? <laughs> and so, so I'm excited. I've, I've started on it. Um, I'm a little behind schedule, so it, it should have been finished already, but I'm working on it now. And so it's fun playing with those known and notable and, and recognizable things, which is like we said earlier, it's fun, but nerve wracking. Because when you write characters that are not yours, you don't want to be the guy that screws that up, you know? Yeah. Like what I did a few years ago, I did a, we, uh, Jamie Chase and I adapted an Edgar Rice Burroughs novel at the Earth's Core into a comic book for Dark Horse. And so the first thing we, when we were talking about was, you know, we need to be as true to the book as we can. Obviously, a novel into a comic, you, you, you do have to shorten things or skip things or things that took two, two or three chapters in a, in, a, in the novel might take two panels, you know, like we've got to walk from here to there. Well, that's two chapters in the novel, but we're just in the comic. We're going to go, we've got to go over there. And the next panel says two days later, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, that kind of thing. So there's shortcuts and stuff that you have to do because you can't, you can't fit it all in there. Otherwise the book would be huge. And, um, and so the first thing, you know, I was talking about is, is like, you know, cause we got, because it was adapting an Edgar Rice Burroughs thing, there was attention put on it. We, we were interviewed and we were talking with people and talking with Burroughs fans. Cause you know, Burroughs fans are, you know, any type of fan of anything they're you know, they know this stuff inside and out, you know, like if I write Star Trek, I know Star Trek fans know this stuff, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm surprised more writers don't because we ever watch a movie and go, wait, have they never watched an episode of Star Trek? That's wrong. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I was very, they're very, especially with Star Trek, very, yeah. wait, that shoe has too many laces. <laughs> well, not even that, the big ones, like the one that got me, the, the, the Star Trek um, um, insurrection, the one where they're the next generation cast is, this this it's making them feel younger and yes. and Riker and Troy share a kiss and she goes I've never kissed you with a beard before and I'm like well that's not true we've seen it on the show and not only that you should remember yeah. <laughs> you know you two should remember that you've done this before and it's just it's stuff like that it's like you've got to know the fans are going to notice that stuff so in my head that's in my head as I'm I'm taking on now working on this, this Edgar Rice Burroughs property. And because I don't want to be the guy that screws that up for the fans who are buying this book. Yeah. And, and one of the questions I was asked in an interview was about that, about changing stuff and how, how faithful are you to the original? And I was like, well, the, the thing you got to remember is, I'm writing Edgar Rice Burroughs at the Earth Score, which was the title. His name was in the title. It's Edgar Rice Burroughs at the Earth Score. I said, that's what I'm writing. I'm not writing Bobby Nash's at the Earth Score. It's very important for me to make sure that Burroughs, you know, his viewpoints, his story comes through. Now, there are yeah. things that I have to do to, to, to uh, like I said, shorten or adapt. So is that but, a, like a ghostwriter situation? No, no, we were adapting. Ghostwriting is when you write for you, like I write it and you put your name on it. Oh, that's ghostwriting. 
Um, there are people that do that and make good money at it. If I'm writing it, my name's going on it. <laughs> you know. Um, now, but no, what we did was we took his novel and adapted it. And so at the end, what came out in comic form was mine and Jamie's based on his story. And so, but, you know, we were both very conscious of we want to be as true to his novel as possible. So we don't want to just start changing things just for the sake of changing it. We want it to be, we had to shorten this because we can't spend, we don't have 12 pages to show him walking across the desert, you know, that kind of thing. But the important stuff that needs to be there, you know, the characters are the characters and wherever possible, I used actual dialogue from the, the book, the novel yeah, in the comic, because where I could, I would use exact dialogue because that's what they would say. And, you know, now obviously there are, like I said, there are places you have to switch that up because you can't, you know, we, we get a little talkative in our novels sometimes. Um, yes. You can shorthand that in comic form. And sometimes the art displays, you don't want to cover up the art. The art is, the art is very important in a comic. You don't, oh, yeah. you don't want to be covering it all up or... Sometimes the art shows things that go, I can lose this dialogue because the art gets that. Across. Oh, yeah. It's like he was looking at the blue lake while I'm wearing a red shirt. And you're like, they can draw him in the red shirt looking at a lake. <laughs> All right. But even even facial expressions or, you know, if you're doing because a lot of times you do narration boxes and caption boxes where someone is narrating the story. And it's not necessarily dialogue. It's just near, like oh, you know, voiceover narration in a movie or something. And you may have them say something like, I had never seen anyone as angry as I saw Deanne the Beautiful in that moment. But then Jamie draws it in a way where the anger is so evident on her face that we can lose that caption box because I don't need to tell you she's pissed. She's pissed. You yeah. know? That kind of thing. It's, you know, and so that, and that's where the, the, that's where the collaboration works because your artist and your writer, and sometimes it's more than one artist. In this case, Jamie was penciling, inking, and coloring because um, he was painting it, you know, he was doing it. Um, but each person brings something, you know, to the, to the process, you know, a penciler, draws it and the inker inks it and sometimes the inker you know can do things with shadows and lines that to give line weight and things like that that the pencils don't do that helps give it weight the colorist can add certain tones that make it you know whereas if this colorist if colorist a paints it as very you know colors it very brightly but colorist b would have done it a darker tone one may it, it helps smooth the story along so it's, you know, light is very important. Color is very important. And so each person in the process adds something to the, to the process that helps move it along. The, even, even down to the placement of the word balloons, where you put the word balloons are just as important sometimes as what's in the word balloons. Because you want to set up a page so the reader follows you know, their eye goes where you want them to go in what order. And so, yeah, so doing things like that helps move that along. 
Now, is there any other projects that you that you're working on that you can talk about or that are coming out soon for releasing or that we haven't yeah. talked about? Um, sure. Well, like I said, I mentioned the Domino Lady uh, comic trade. It's called Domino Lady Threesome. Uh, Domino Lady was, you know, the the Domino Lady pulps from back in the day were all very innuendo type stories. They were all considered spicy pulps, and <laughs> they were adults only back then. They're pretty tame nowadays, but my publisher still likes to do innuendo titles. Like the first anthology was called Sex as a Weapon. My novel, which the dominated novel I wrote, which is a political thriller, is called Money Shot. Um, we had a we had a dominated we had the second anthology came out uh, this year. It came out like a month ago or last month, uh, called Gentlemen Prefer Domino Lady, and I have a story in that one. Um, and then so, but and Domino Lady Threesome will be out. It's supposed to be out at the end of April, maybe the first of May. Uh, you can actually it's in previews now. You can actually go to your local comic shop. And they will pre-order it for you. So tell your local comic shop, you you know, and they can they can find it for you. It's in the current previews, and um, I'm very excited. It's it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's called Domino Lady's Threesome because it's Domino Lady teaming up with two other pulp and old comic characters. Um, awesome. A couple of the characters that are in there have only appeared once in the last fifty years. <laughs> Holy so, crap. yeah, um, I wrote one character that appeared in one short comic story once. I mean, it's like an eight page story. That's it. Um, so that <laughs> was that was fun. Um, but yeah, the, the, the publisher gave me a list of characters and said, here, use any of these. And so, OK. And, you know, it was all old pulp public domain and comic public domain characters. And um, I think we made a I think we had fun with it. I, I certainly had a blast and. Um, you know, I, like I said, I got to know some characters I didn't know before. And, um, so a couple of them I've written a couple of times now, um, my, my story in the second Domino Lady anthology, the gentleman preferred Domino Lady anthology is a sequel to one of the stories in the comic. Cause I thought the comic would come out first and it didn't, <laughs> but it, so, yeah. So in my note at the beginning of that story, it says this story takes place right after, <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was fun. But anyway, so that uh, so Domino Lady Threesome is coming up. Um, there's always more snow. Book six should be out soon. Like I said, I'm a little behind. It should have been out already. That's that's on me. Um, uh, I did a Lance Star Sky Ranger uh, serialized novel uh, novella on Patreon, and I then also allowed them to run it on the New Pulp Heroes website so you can go there and read it for free it's 14 chapters long um you, it's all up now the last chapter uh debuted this week last week this week it's friday as so we talked yeah this week um so you can go to newpulpheroes.com i think it is and read it for free there but i'm going to put that out in paper and ebook very soon um the original concept was uh, several years ago uh, artist James Burns and I were going to do a, a Lance Star comic strip. And we started it, and about halfway through, schedules changed, and we had to end it prematurely. So I quickly wrote, I jumped from chapter whatever we were at to the end, just so we could wrap it up, you know. So it, it's always bugged me that the middle part of that story, and, and you know, we made it work, but 
it always bugged me that the middle part of that story never happened. And because it's a, it's a very, it's very much a sci-fi adventure set in the pulpy thirties, you know, late thirties, early forties, early forties, early forties. Uh, Cause they do talk about world war two going on. So it's early forties. And but it's all this stuff with like, you know, finding a lost treasure and, you know, pirates and this, this island full of the smugglers nation and, you know, lava monsters and giant volcanoes and all that fun stuff. So I decided to tell that story and, 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 and fill in the parts that were missing in the middle. And uh, so I wrote that and that came out and I'm putting the book together. I'm also going to put the original comics in the book with it. And so, so that's fun. So that'll be out once I get it half time to get it all put together. And then, um, so that'll be out evil intent, the sequel to evil ways, which is, you know, 12 years in the making will be out very soon. I'm also releasing it as a serialized novel on Patreon. I think I'm up to chapter 17 or 18 now. Uh, it's a much, it's not, it's a full novel. So it's a longer piece of that. Um, if anybody's interested in getting a jump on reading that it's at patreon.com slash Bobby Nash. Uh, little as $1 a month, you know, get you access to that. If you get in the $5 and up, you get a free ebook a month as well and stuff like that. Um, more snow shorts, the little short stories I mentioned, uh, the 99 cent short stories, more of those will happen. Uh, the plan is I'd love to do one a month. It just depends on how fast they come in. Um, so doing those, um, there's more snow after that. Um, as soon as I finish Evil Intent, I'm going to start the next Sheriff Myers mystery. Um, I'll release it as a serialized first and then release it. And doing the serialized book helps me helps me get more stuff done. So while I'm working on this stuff, I'm still doing a chapter a week of something else. So it's helping me get more stuff done. Um and and hopefully the the people that are the, my patrons that are reading it are enjoying it, um, but it's a lot of fun too, and it helps me to kind of keep motivated and keep going. And sque- you, you squeeze in, you're squeezing in an extra chapter a week without realizing you're squeezing out an extra chapter a week. And so yeah, so that's fun. So I'm doing those, and then um, there's all kinds of other stuff in in the pipe. Like I mentioned, the one about the blank in blank um um i'm also i'm on i'm just finishing up tonight actually um i'm finishing up the putting the final polish on hunter houston horror hunter book three uh there will be four of those total Uh, my fall staff books my very patient publisher because i am late on that as well Uh, my very patient publisher has been patiently waiting and uh, so after I finish up, I'll finish it. Actually, I'm supposed to finish it tonight, maybe tomorrow morning to get the final polish, get it off to the publisher. Um, and then I've got, I'm doing a snow story for Pulp Reality number two that I'm going to finish this weekend. And I'm also doing some Domino Lady stories where she teams up with uh, Moonstone's character, Judgment. I'm working on the second of three of those now. Um, and then after those are done, 
I have, I'm going to write a Lone Ranger story for the Lone Ranger anthology. Uh, the sequel to Dante's 10th I managed to was in the horror anthology. So yeah, so that's, that's on the, that's what I can remember off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> so lots of work coming out. So a lot of the, yeah. a lot of your fans got a lot of stuff to look forward yeah. to. Yeah. And, and there's stuff too. There's some stuff that is at publishers. I just don't know when they're going to come out, you know. Um, there's a couple of, I've got two or three novels that are at publishers that I don't know when they're coming out. I'm just waiting on them to say, here it goes. It's here it comes. And, <laughs> and then, you know, so, so there's stuff done, but I just don't, you know, I don't know when or when it'll hit. So awesome. now what are part your, of the, uh, part of, the, part of the fun of the, the job, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now what are your socials where everybody can find and follow you? Sure. Uh, well, I mentioned Patreon. I'm on Patreon. It's patreon slash dot com slash Bobby Nash. I'm on Facebook at facebook dot com slash author Bobby Nash. Uh, my that's my author page. My regular page is just full, uh, so I can't add keep and I don't have, I can't add more people. Um, but the same stuff gets posted to both of them, and I check both of them. If I check one, I'm checking the others. Twitter. I'm at twitter dot com slash Bobby Nash or at Bobby Nash. Uh, Instagram, I'm Instagram.com slash Bobby Nash writes. My website is Bobby Nash.com. My publishing site is Ben B E N dash books.com. And then, uh, snow has its own website, Abraham snow.com. And Lance star has Lance star.blogspot.com. I'm on all of those. Um, if you go to my websites, um, there's stores there. You can, if you like buying autograph books, you can buy them from the store at cover price. There's also uh, my new. You can sign up for my newsletter. If you sign up for the newsletter, you get snowfalls for free on ebook. So yeah, so different stuff like that. I'm easy to find. Reach out to me on social media. Say hello and tell tell them you heard me here on the on the on the podcast. Would you say our outro? Enjoy the madness. Hey everyone, that's going to be another episode of the Phantom Squad Podcast. You are now leaving the Phantom Squad Podcast. I don't want to go.